Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The federal government is giving Hamilton a financial boost to address the affordable housing crisis. Ontario and the federal government are reportedly closing in on a $10 a day child care deal. A new survey from CAMH shows anxiety levels are similar to what was reported at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. We'll tell you about a great program in Waterloo region where kids read books to dogs. Overseas, tensions along the Ukraine-Russia border continue to break. And the Bank of Canada set to hike interest rates to battle rising inflation. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Huge news yesterday in the city of Hamilton as we have received more than $26 million of federal cash to help build 109 new affordable homes at three locations throughout the lower city. Here to chat about it is Lisa Hefner, Liberal MP for the Hamilton Mountain, and joins us now on GMH. Lisa, good morning. Thanks for coming on the show with us. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. This is a huge impact. A lot of money, a lot of housing units. How did it all come together? This is so exciting, Rick. This is one of the main reasons I ran it for politics. I mean, this is exactly what we need in Hamilton. Safe, stable, permanent homes for people. You know, I think back when I was a reporter, uh, you would meet people who would get an affordable home for the first time in many years. And the transformation in their lives, the joy coming out of their eyes, you know, the stories they share about they can leave their apartment and come back and their food is still there. And to that, that's to them, that's amazing. I mean, these they were some of my favorite stories ever to cover. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, this is $26.7 million to build an estimated 109 new homes. So do you want me to go through the three projects and tell you about a little bit yeah, about I think, them? Yeah, I, I think it's important to identify where they are and who is going to be living in these units. Perfect. So the first one's at 35 Arkeldon Avenue. So this is one that will be operated through Good Shepherd. And a big shout out to Catherine Kalinowski at Good Shepherd, a stalwart member of our community who's been working with people for decades. Um, and this will see a former commercial school converted into 73 units. And uh, it, these units are geared towards women, transgender, and non-binary community members, people who are experiencing homelessness, homelessness or they're at risk of homelessness. And so this is $12.9 million under the city stream of the rapid housing investment and $3.35 million under uh, the Canada's homelessness strategy. The second project is run by City Housing Hamilton. It's on King William Street, 253 King William Street. And this is 24 units for women and their children who are also experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness and for black Canadians. And so this is a project that's getting $6.4 million under the project stream of the rapid housing initiative. And finally, there's a project by St. Matthew's house on Barton street East. And this is 12 units for black Canadians and indigenous people 
$3.8 million under the project stream of the Rapid Housing Initiative. And a shout out again to Renee Westlar at St. Matthew's House, another woman who is such a powerhouse in our community and working for the vulnerable. So that's a rundown of those three projects. Lisa Hepner is our guest, Liberal MP, Hamilton Mountain. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. You mentioned women, transgender, non-binary individuals, black Canadians, indigenous population. Why focus on this group? They're the most vulnerable in our community. And I think our government has realized that, you know, everyone is suffering through the pandemic. Let's help the most vulnerable first. This is where this is where we have to start. And not only that, I mean, these this infrastructure is in place. So it's not like you're building from scratch and these units are going to take years to complete. They're going to be ready this year, from what I understand. Uh, Well, I, you know, I'm not... Uh, this is a rapid housing funding. So a contingent on the funding is the fact that this, this housing has to go up quickly, but I was on King William street and I believe it's a hole in the ground right now. Oh, is it (laughs) just by there for a photo? So I, I don't want to uh, say that for sure, but there's a construction equipment there. It's underway. And, uh, And that's the 24 units for women and their children. With housing uh, affordability, or in many cases, unaffordability, a a hot topic, not only in this city, but across the country. How important was this to get this off the ground now? It's so important. And so, like you say, this is, I mean, this is a huge priority, not just in Hamilton, but in cities across the country. So the Rapid Housing Initiative in total is $2.5 billion, and it's going to create 10,000 new affordable homes for Canadians across the country. It's a great program. Uh, Dozens of individuals will benefit from it. Lisa, really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You too. Lisa Hefner, Liberal MP, Hamilton Mountain, joining us to talk about this affordable housing project. Uh, Nearly $27 million is going to be spent to create uh, more than 100 new affordable housing units at uh, three locations in the city. Uh, We need more of this, obviously, because, um, you know, 109 individuals or at least units that will house many individuals is a great first step. Hopefully more of these announcements will be on the way. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We've been working very hard to get a fair deal for Ontario families because we know childcare is too expensive. It is inaccessible to too many families in Ontario. That just simply is unacceptable. And our premier and government is committed to finding, uh, bringing forth a deal with the federal government that is fiscally sustainable, that actually gets prices down to $10 a day. That is Education Minister Stephen Lecce here in the province of Ontario as we are being told that we're oh so close to a $10 a day child care deal with the or with the federal government. Is it uh, going to be announced anytime soon? How close are we? And what would this mean to parents and their children? Carolyn Ferns is a public policy and government relations coordinator with the Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Carolyn, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Do you have any sense on how close or still how far we are from this deal? You know, I wish that I, uh, I wish that I knew more, and I think a lot of families feel the same way. I mean, I, I hear the minister and Premier Ford yesterday saying, uh, you know, we're we're close, but uh, maybe I'm a bit skeptical. But I think a lot of families are too. I, I'm waiting to see the signature, really, because it's been months now 
um, that we've uh, been waiting for the Ford government to sign on to the Federal Child Care Initiative. Um, and, you know, the first provinces signed on in the summer, um, and now every other province and territory has signed on. So, um, you know, and, and families in those provinces are already seeing their child care fees go down um, and plans uh, for child care to expand. So really, um, that signature can't come soon enough. We need to get the plan signed. Uh, we know that uh, child care is super expensive in Ontario, especially in places like Hamilton and the GTA. And when a parent sees $10 a day child care, yeah. should they be excited? Um, you know, yes, they should be excited. I mean, the the getting to to ten dollars a day that uh, you know that lead slogan there is going to take a few years, to be honest, right? It's going to take some time to really build a childcare system that meets the needs of families um, and is affordable for all and is a high quality system. Um, but you know what the federal government has uh, said is that they want to um, you know to have childcare fees cut in half this year. So from families that I've spoken with, they say, you know, that alone would make a huge difference. If you're paying, you know, over $1,000 a month for childcare, sometimes $2,000 for infant childcare, you know, having childcare fees cut in half would make a huge difference. So that's some uh, relief that once the deal is signed um, should be happening right away. And as I said, that's what's happening in other provinces. Parents are getting emails saying your childcare fees are going to be going down next month. You know, it's going to they're going to be cut in half this year. Um, so that would make a big difference. But of course, you know, there's a lot of work to do long term to make sure we're building, a, you know, a really high quality childcare system that serves many more families. Well, and to that effect, you mentioned it's going to take a few years before we see ultimately $10 a day childcare. So what has to happen between now and a few years from now to see that? Yeah. Um, well, I think that, uh, you know, the the fee part of it is is just one part of what needs to happen, right? Because to expand childcare spaces to serve more families, of course, you know, you can build the, the rooms and the buildings, but, you know, if you don't have people to staff those, um, then, you know, that, that doesn't do a lot, right? It's it's early childhood educators who create quality early learning and childcare for young kids. And the truth is that we need many more of them um, coming into the childcare sector and staying in the childcare sector. Um, right now, we have a workforce crisis in childcare um, that predated the pandemic, but of course, the pandemic has made it worse. Um, so we need to be dealing with that issue. Um, and that means uh, creating decent work and pay for early childhood educators, because right now, um, people come in and work in the childcare sector, but they don't stay because it doesn't pay. Um, and so we need to make sure we're doing that. And part of the federal plan, um, what we've seen in other, they're doing in other provinces, is to bring in a wage grid to, um, you know, to raise the pay of early childhood educators. And that's something that I would hope to see in the Ontario Agreement as well. We're chatting with Carolyn Ferns on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Carolyn is the Public Policy and Government Relations Coordinator with the Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care. And we're chatting about the possibility, fingers crossed, of $10 a day child care in this province. We're, said, uh, we're being told that uh, a deal is uh, imminent, or at least very close. You, may, you mentioned a wage grid. Would making child care uh, as an employment a skilled trade um, lead to that? Well, right now, um, like early childhood educators are uh, it's a regulated profession in Ontario. So we have a professional college for uh, for ECEs um, in Ontario, and we have for a few years. And it's interesting because that's something that, you know, I think the hope in the sector was, and, you know, the government at the time when the, the former liberal, liberal government brought it in, was the hope that this would raise, you know, the profile of the sector 
um, you know, um, obviously it increased the uh, responsibilities on early childhood educators, and they're, they are a regulated profession. But, you know, it didn't really deal with the, the wage issue. Um, and that's because, you know, the system that we have now, which primarily just relies on the market and is primarily funded through parent fees, um, you know, childcare workers' wages are directly tied to childcare parent fees. So unless, you know, fees are already too high, if you raise the wages of ECEs, you know, it, it doesn't work out, right? So what we've said for years and what we're now seeing happening in other provinces under the federal plan is that much more public funding is going into the system so that you can both raise the wages of ECEs and lower the fees of parents. And that's what has to happen to, to really make a change. You mentioned earlier that we need more child care providers and people uh, staffing these facilities. Do we need more facilities? Because if we're bringing in a lot more people, do we need to expand to new new spaces? Yeah, um, absolutely. There needs to be uh, an expansion plan. And I think that, uh, you know, that's one of the places where uh, local municipalities in Ontario are going to come in um, and, and really be need to be leaders on this. Um, because here in Ontario, you know, municipalities are the service system managers and they can do local planning, right? And that's kind of what's been missing from childcare for years is really a plan for expansion and that's what we need to be uh need to be looking at um so it's it's uh you know kind of a, a, a would be a long-term plan uh to really get us there but you know of course the first step is that we need the ontario government to sign on um and right now you know we need to deal with this uh crisis in child care that we're that we're in um because of the pandemic and uh and and get that deal signed get the money flowing and and get us to a better place Carolyn Ferns, our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton. Carolyn, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Carolyn is the Public Policy and Government Relations Coordinator with the Ontario Coalition for Better Child Care, chatting with us about the $10 a day child care deal that is said to be very, very close. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, two years into the pandemic, anxiety levels seem to be reaching 2020 levels once again. That's a troubling thought, isn't it? Dr. Haley Hamilton is a senior scientist at CAMH's Institute for Mental Health Policy Research and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Dr. Hamilton. Good morning. Uh, Omicron and the return of restrictions have certainly created a big impact on our mental health, haven't they? Yes, they have. It's been two years, as you said, so people are feeling it. So the CAMH survey has found that uh, about a quarter of individuals feel moderate to severe anxiety, 22% are depressed. How does that compare to what we saw early on in the pandemic? Um, It's very similar. And and I should point out that uh, with respect to depression, it's feeling depressed. Um, It's not a a diagnosis of Mm -hmm. depression. Um, It's simply reporting that they felt depressed. Um, And it's very similar to what individuals were feeling during our, um, or reported in our first survey, which was conducted in May, 2020. And as we would remember, that's just, you know, two months um, into the, the pandemic. Um, so, you know, it seems that people are feeling again, um, similar to what they felt back then. Um, but, you know, we have seen that in our results that when case counts rise, as we've seen with Omicron, then it's not surprising that people are feeling this way. Are the reasons a little bit different now than it was maybe at the start of the pandemic, though? Possibly, um, because it's two years. I think in 2020, in May 2020, people were, it was new and people were very fearful and, and they did not know what to expect. Um, two years in now, 
people have, have experienced it, uh, the ups and downs. Uh, so I think uh, the feelings might be, they're expressing those same feelings of anxiety, but there might be a, a different reason behind it. A little bit of maybe being tired, a little bit of frustration. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, that's somewhat um, explains the results. How are people coping? I understand there are uh, many people who are turning to things like binge drinking to take their mind off the pandemic. Uh, with respect to binge drinking, we, we also included measures of binge drinking during the pandemic, and um, we did not see much change. But we're talking with binge drinking, that's heavy episodic drinking. Um, what what re- research has shown is that people are drinking more than they did um, before the pandemic, but maybe not at the levels of increasing binge drinking, uh, but they are drinking more. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dr. Haley mm-hmm. Hamilton, senior scientist at CAMH's Institute for Mental Health Policy Research. We're talking about the latest CAMH research project that shows that anxiety levels now are pretty much in line with what we saw at the start of the pandemic. Um, women and frontline workers we have heard throughout the pandemic have really been disproportionately affected. Is that still the case with this latest survey? Uh, yes, uh, there were increases um, in anxiety among women uh, between our last survey um, last summer and uh, the, our most recent survey in January. Uh, of course, we have to take into consideration that this is January, so there are a little bit of you know seasonality and winter blues might be a part of it. Um, but uh, so there were increases. There were also increases among those who are whose job puts them at high risk um, of, of uh, contracting COVID. So you know that again. Um, showing some increases. And so with Omicron, uh, this is what we're seeing. From the respondents you heard from, are what are they worried about? Is it simply when this pandemic is going to end? Is it restrictions? What are some of the things that are on their mind? Uh, that we do not know because we did not specifically ask uh, what they were specifically worried about. Um, one question asked about worry about contracting uh, COVID. So there was some concern about getting it. Um, again, with Omicron, we've seen that there has been a lot of the ease of infection is is much increased um, than before. So um, that's also not surprising. Most importantly, are people seeking help? Uh, people are uh, seeking help. Um, there might be concerns about um, whether or not they're able to access help. Um, so one of the questions we asked was to what extent individuals wanted to um, uh, access mental health uh, services or they had a need but weren't able to access services for their related to the pandemic i should say and there were some about 25 percent indicating that they needed services and they could not to cope with the pandemic and they could not access those services um, so that was concerning was there anything that surprised you in this latest survey um i think the fact that individuals are their experiences of our feelings of anxiety, their feelings of depression being so similar to May 2020. Um, that was surprising because said two years in, um, you know, there might have been some expectation that, okay, um, we've, we've been through ups and downs and you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so that was a bit surprising that we are, people are experiencing similar levels of anxiety to what they were um, in May 2020. But we can put it in perspective in that we've also been dealing with a lot over the last two years. If uh, someone's listening to this right now thinking, yeah, I'm in that boat, but no, I'll be fine. What should they do? 
Um, I think that if you feel that you need to reach out for services, it's important that you do so. Um, it's important to maintain contact with your friends, with your family, even if you cannot see them uh, on a regular basis because of uh, public health measures. It's just important to, to maintain contact with individuals, even if it's by phone, and do the things that um, that you're able to do with respect to physical activity, with respect to staying connected. I think it's important to continue that. Um, but if you need to reach out to, for services, please do so. There's been an expansion in virtual, uh, in the availability of virtual services and online services uh, with respect to mental health services. So it's important to, 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 to reach out if you do need to. Dr. Hamilton, thank you very much for the time today and for sharing uh, some insight into the, the latest survey from CAMH. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Haley Hamilton, Senior Scientist at CAMH's Institute for Mental Health Policy Research. Yes, if you do need some assistance, if you feel that your anxiety levels are sky high, um, you know, you notice certain parts of your day not going the way that you had hoped or planned, and it's because of your mental health. Certainly seek out that assistance. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. And we just got done talking about heightened anxiety levels during the pandemic. Those levels now pretty much the same as what we saw in the early stages of the pandemic. So when I saw... A tweet yesterday from the region of Waterloo Library. I thought, yes, we're doing this on the show. And it read, what's more fun than reading? It's reading to a friendly, well-trained dog. Register for one 15-minute time slot. And I thought to myself, what? We're reading to dogs? Yeah, we've had read-to-me programs. You know, the Hamilton Tiger Cats have been famous for going into schools and reading to kids. Those are a lot of fun. But reading to dogs? How does this work? Cheryl Tilley is the manager of library services at the region of Waterloo Library and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Cheryl, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on your program and kudos to an awesome lead into this fabulous story. Well, thank you very much. How did this program come about? Well, we've actually been running the program for a little over 15 years now. Uh, we have an awesome volunteer, Holly Tian. And she's a professional dog trainer. She actually had approached the library uh, 15 years ago uh, to bring her trained dogs into a reading program. And uh, so, yeah, she's actually brought in six different dogs over the past 15 years. Wow, that's amazing. What has the response been like? And have you seen a heightened response during the pandemic? Actually, the response has been positive. At this point, it's, it's almost like we're going into the, the next generation of, of people who have remembered this program from when they were growing up. So the response is always positive. It's very popular uh, to sign up for. And um, it's, it's wonderful. Right now we're doing with, uh, we're using two different uh, reading dogs, Sunshine, who's four years old, and Rainbow, who's a year old. And both of these dogs are golden retrievers. It's actually not a remedial reading program. It's mainly for children who need a little bit of encouragement to feel comfortable reading out loud. And so the dog is not going to give negative feedback to that, right? Exactly. Dogs are not judgmental. They love any kind of story that the children wants to want to read to them. And indeed, a child could read the same story over and over again, and the dog will not mind that in the least. <laughs> what kind of books are they reading? Whatever books the children want to pick out. It's okay. aimed for uh, school-aged children. So we do, when we are running the program in person, 
the children are invited to go over to the library shelves and pull off whatever book they want. Of course, right now during the pandemic, we're, re we're running this program virtually. So whatever book the child happens to have with them at home, or we are still uh, checking out library books, of course, so the child could go to the library to begin with before the program, check out whatever book they want, and then at home interact uh, through uh, the virtual program with the, the reading program with the dog. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Cheryl Tilley, Manager Library Services at the Region of Waterloo Library, talking about their Read to Dogs program. What kind of feedback have you received from kids and from their parents? Oh, the, the parents and the kids love it. As you know, reading is a doorway to adventure, and sometimes reluctant readers need a friend who kind of gives them that confidence to walk through that doorway. And the Reach the Dog program helps give kids that confidence. It's interesting, actually, to see children as they age come back after they've enjoyed the program when they were very young and they come into the library and they, they still talk about it. They still talk about, oh, I, I loved this program. I'm checking out all these books. I remembered the Reach the Dog program. So it gives them some fabulous, warm memories. Children can't wait to sign up for it. And the parents are so proud watching their kids have that confidence to read. Because what this program does is it takes the focus off the reading, if you will, and the child focuses on the dog, and it becomes this wonderful conversation between the child and the dog. And you can just watch the parents' faces, especially when we were running it in person, and they are so proud listening to their child confidently read to this dog who is absolutely non-judgmental. It's also very calming for the child, especially when we were running the program in person, because the child could reach out and pet the dog, and the dog just looks up at the child with these wonderful, adoring eyes that say, whatever you are saying to me right now is perfect and wonderful. And so we see that confidence increase in the child. Even running the program virtually, we see positive results. Um, there's a positive benefit to the dog. The dog actually sits and listens very calmly and watches the program using an iPad, believe it or not. And the child can still feel like they're interacting with the dog through the virtual program. So yes, we have dogs that use iPads. Was there any fear or uh, maybe fear is not the, the, the best word. Was there any um, indication that maybe the dog initially would be a distraction to the child because the child wants to just play with the dog as opposed to read the book? No, not really. In fact, any kind of distraction is a, a little positive if that child is very nervous about reading. So it gets the child's focus off being nervous and onto the dog. And everything seems to flow smoothly from that point. And as I said, even with the virtual set up with the, the dog, the dog's volunteer actually using the iPad, of course, the, the child becomes so focused on the dog, but they know that they're there for the reading. So the child actually enters into the reading because the dog is going to respond as the child reads. So it, it has worked out very well and not as a distraction. Cheryl Tilley is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Cheryl is the Manager of Library Services at the Region of Waterloo Library. We're talking about their Read to Dogs program. Where did the dogs come from and how are they able to remain so attentive? Well, the dogs are provided by Holly Tian, our wonderful volunteer, and she is a professional dog trainer. 
So the dogs are trained for this. We're, um, and so they, they do remain very calm because they know that is their job. And I've seen Holly work with these, all the dogs that she brings in. And it, it, they are very well-trained dogs. So no matter what the child does, no matter what the distractions are around them, the dogs remain calm and focused on that child. Much in the same way that a service animal would do. They're not service animals, but they are trained for this program. The uh, program goes uh, Wednesdays from 4.30 to 4.45. Many, if not all, of the slots are spoken for. Are you uh, going to be offering more or even expanding this program because it's so popular? We do. We will be offering the program again. Um, We don't currently have plans to expand it right now. But for your listeners, um, know that you can register for the program on the remaining slots by going to our library website at rwlibrary.ca. And if those slots are fully registered, don't worry, we've got other fabulous children and adult programs that we are running. So jumping onto our website to register for either this program or other programs will allow you to see all the many programs that are virtual programs that our library is currently offering. So I'm well into my 40s. Can I sign up and read to a dog? <laughs> it's a good question. It's actually designed for school-age children. Gosh darn. And we would like to keep those slots open for school-age <laughs> children. <laughs> okay. Cheryl, thanks for the time today. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. Thank you for this invitation. Cheryl Tilly, Manager Library Services, Region of Waterloo Library, joining us to talk about their Read to Dogs program. Fantastic initiative. Maybe I'll just read to my own dog later on today. She won't be paying attention. That's the problem. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Canada has been and will continue to be a friend and ally of Ukraine. uh, And we will continue to be there to support them and to uh, ensure that Ukrainian people get to determine their futures. Not uh, not Vladimir Putin. That is Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Ukraine. Tensions continuing to brew along the border with Russia. The Canadian government now ordering the families of diplomats stationed at the embassy in Ukraine to leave the country. And this is old Soviet-era bunkers from the Cold War are being put back into service. Global News Europe Bureau Chief Crystal Gamansing is in Kiev and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, or I guess in your case, good afternoon, Crystal. Good morning. Uh, We've heard a lot about international reaction to the situation uh, along the border. What is the feeling in Ukraine? Well, the feeling in Ukraine is is very much a sense of calm. These people uh, understand the the threat that their neighbor poses. They they have been living with it for for a number of years. Uh, you know, since 2014 and and uh, the the war uh, and the subsequent annexation of Crimea. But they are calm. They understand that they have to go about their daily lives. Some are taking action in the form of joining the territorial service, saying they are willing to defend their country should it come to that. Others telling me that, you know, they have a, a bag packed for their family and papers ready to go should they need to, to leave the country to go somewhere that, that is safer. However, it is, um, there's there's no sense of, of imminent danger here. People are, are very calm, but they, they are aware of the possibility. Both Canada and the United States telling families of diplomats to leave. What other cautions are they urging? 
Yeah, those are sort of some of the basics that often happen before we see some sort of action. But Canada followed the uh, lead of the United States. The U.S. made that decision the day before, saying that it was uh, simply as a precaution that they didn't have any information suggesting that there, you know, would be something happening soon. So it seems like they are just trying to get ahead of things should it come to that. Again, you know, avoiding a, a panic situation. Uh, earlier today, I did have the opportunity to have an exclusive interview with Alexei Danilov. He is the Secretary of National Security and Defense Council. And earlier you played a clip of uh, Justin Trudeau saying that, you know, they that Canada stands with Ukraine and, and will, um, you know, ensure its sovereignty. Well, Danilov had a request of Canada and it was very simple. And I'm quoting him here now where he says one defensive weapons, two defensive weapons, and once again, defensive weapons. That has not been a request that has been approved, at least not as of yet from Canada. Canada, of course, has provided sort of economic stimulus. They've provided ongoing training support for military. We've had Operation Unifier here in Ukraine for a number of years. That will be extended, although we don't have details on that. They haven't. It hasn't been announced as of yet. But clearly, Ukraine is saying, help us ensure our sovereignty by giving us defensive weapons. Global News Europe Bureau Chief Crystal Gamansing is in Kyiv, Ukraine, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We've heard that diplomatic meetings continue to take place. What are some of the next steps for NATO and Russia? Diplomatic meetings is really the key here, and that's what we are going to continue to see, and that's what we've seen over the past, you know, three odd weeks. They will continue to try to have Russia de-escalate things, to try to have uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin come to the table with what is often being called realistic demands at this point. Um, you know, I think everyone is sort of concerned and, and um, you know, rightly so disturbed by the level of um, of troops and, and the heavy machinery that's just on the border of Ukraine. And, and of course, on, in February, we will see those those war games, those military exercises happening in Belarus, which is another uh, country that borders Ukraine. So they will try to get some sort of progress that suggests a de-escalation over the next short while. I would think that they'd want to see that happen before those military exercises start. Crystal, amazing reporting from Ukraine. Great stuff on Global National the last couple of nights as well. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Take care. That is Global News Europe Bureau Chief Crystal Gamansing in Kiev, Ukraine. As she joins us, uh, as as you can imagine, tensions are high among Ukrainian Canadians. But as she was reporting, uh, the sense that she's getting on the street in uh, places like Kiev is that, the, you know, th- this is nothing new. Um, you know, the annexation, the wars, the conflict that has happened for years um, really has, uh, I think, uh, offered a sense of, uh, you know, nothing new among the people in Ukraine. But certainly uh, we're all worried for what may happen. And hopefully those tensions can be de-escalated. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Oh, we're under pressure here in Canada. It's called Inflation. And a big decision this morning from the Bank of Canada. It's certainly all eyes on the central bank as it gets set to make its announcement about its trend-setting interest rate. Many expecting that rate to go up for the first time in a very long time. Marvin Reiner is the professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Marvin. Good morning, Rick. As I said, we haven't seen a rate hike in, I can't even remember the last time it went up. (laughs) 
Well, uh, in fact, the last time the rate moved, it went down. So it was about two years ago, faced with the challenges of coronavirus, that the Bank of Canada said, let's, let's take the interest rate down to the record low, the lowest it had ever been, 0.25%. That's the rate that the Bank of Canada charges other banks to you and I when we go visit our commercial banks to get a mortgage. We have mortgages now in the 2% range. And uh, this was to kind of help stimulate the economy, keep it going during difficult times, what have you. And the big question in front of them is, well, do we need to continue to stimulate the market this way? One of those measures, which, as you point out, is inflation, hit a, uh, a new recent high of 4.8% in December. The Bank of Canada says, we don't really want uh, inflation to be that high. We'd like it to be closer to 2%. That's half of what it was in December. So what do you do? Well, one thing you could do is raise interest rates. That makes money a little more expensive to get. And in turn, that probably means people will spend a little less of it if it costs more. So the question is, are they going to raise interest rates? I have a fast answer for you, and the answer is yes, they're definitely going to raise interest rates in 2022. In fact, my bet, my crystal ball, says they'll do it on three separate occasions. They meet eight times a year, but on three of those eight meetings, they'll raise interest rates. I think today the odds are 50-50. It's a coin flip. They may do it today. If they don't do it today, they'll certainly do it the first week of March, which is when their second meeting of the year is going to happen. So why wouldn't they do it today? Because we know that inflation hit a 30-year high in December. It's about 5%. So why wait? What's the the pro as opposed to the con? Well, there's two reasons to wait. Uh, First is that while the inflation number is high, that's one economic indicator. Let me give you another one, and of course that's the unemployment rate. The story there is just the opposite. We are more or less back to where we were before the pandemic. Uh, unemployment in the month of, uh, I'll get my dates right here, this would have been December, was 5.9%. Before COVID, it was 5.7%. And we've got actually 250,000 more people working in our economy today than we did back in January, February of 2020. So on that front, everything's chugging along fine, and you wouldn't want to do anything to cause unemployment. Uh, And then the other reason to maybe wait until March is, Where's Omicron going? Now, I I don't want to be an evil man to even say this out loud, but yes, at this moment, Omicron appears, appears to be declining and appears to be less of an issue, but we're not there yet. And, And as well, God bless COVID, about every, uh, eight weeks or so, there seems to be a new variant. Uh, Omicron appeared at the end of November. We're rapidly coming to the end of January. I hate to say this out loud again, but you know what that means. Might be time for another variant. And I think the Bank of Canada doesn't want to get in a position where it raises interest rates today and then all of a sudden in March has to take them back down again. They would like to move them in one direction and never move them back again. And so, you know, I could see them saying, let's just wait a little longer to make sure Omicron is going in the rearview mirror. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Marvin Reiner, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. We're chatting about the Bank of Canada getting set this morning to make a, another announcement about its trend-setting interest rates. Uh, some people believe that it's going to go up, as you heard from Marvin. Uh, he's expecting sometime later this year. And he also said this is could be, could be you know, the first of a few interest rate hikes. Yeah. Why a few? And, and does each one do, uh, you know, damage isn't the, the word that I want to use here, but does each one have a different impact? Sure. Well, each, each increase is going to slow the amount of spending out there and make money a little more expensive. Now, why? Well, 
there's a couple of reasons. One is these are the lowest interest rates in Canadian history. In the more 150 years that we have been a country, we've never seen interest rates this low. And it, it begins to set an artificial expectation of, of what is a decent mortgage. You know, Rick, even if we get three increases this year, by the end of this year, you'd still be able to get a mortgage in the low 3% range. When I bought my first house, I paid a mortgage of 11 and a quarter percent. That was high. But typically, mortgages in Canada have cost you 5 to 6%. We just don't want to get this uh, idea in people's heads that this cheap money is going to be here forever and they can count on that. Um, and the other thing you want to do is give yourself some wiggle room in case there's another economic problem. Now, yes, COVID has been huge. But over the years, you and I have lived through some other blips and, and things. You remember 2007 8 with the housing crisis in mm-hmm. the United States? And the Bank of Canada wants to have some wiggle room that if it ever needs to stimulate the economy again, it's got it at 0.25%. There's just nothing else they can do. They really can't go any lower than that. So let's get it back to something like 1% to 2%. That's their rate. That would lead you to mortgages more in the 3 to 4% range, still a little lower than average, but would also give them the wiggle room more weapons in case they needed it down the road. We only have about a minute, but because an interest rate hike would have an impact on variable rate mortgages, and of course those who do renew their mortgage, right. uh, would it cool off the, ho- the hot housing market? Well, that's the other question that we're trying to deal with, too, is can we, can we and I think the, you've phrased that very well, cool off. Nobody wants a bubble to break. So what we really want to do is see a freeze. We'd like to see housing prices not go up or not go up very much in 2022. If you make money a little more expensive, that could calm down the market. Now, it could also, on the short term, have the opposite effect, knowing that the interest rates are coming. Let's suppose we dodge the bullet today. They don't move it. You listen to me and you say, well, they are going to move it in March. Okay, we got six weeks to go out and get in that market. So you might actually see some heat in the first quarter with people rushing to get it before the rates start going up. But ultimately, that's the idea. Let's try to cool that market as well. Marvin, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. Glad to be with you. Marvin Ryder, professor with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.